0: Welcome to Teaching Brute. This is our final um, episode for Season 4, Volume 4.
1: Volume 4. It's the end of Volume 4.
0: It's the end of Volume 4. And on this one, we're going to do something um, that would involve a little bit more thinking and creativity and risk-taking on your part.
1: Yep. And an awful. will also depend on how your admin feels about certain things.
0: Well, so, yes. Uh,
1: so we're, And we're doing this at the end of the season because it gives you something to think about over the summer if you're listening to this after it gets released which would uh, the release date will be somewhere in June 2019. Um,
0: and for those who are in the southern hemisphere and are coming up to their term break, this is something that can be kind of percolating in the back of your head and you can get your students involved in it and something that can keep people motivated and excited right up until that last day.
1: Yeah, yep. and what we're talking about is physical learning environments. Mm-hmm. Now, bear in mind we are not we are not referring to flexible <laughs> learning environments cuz that is a big blanketed term for flexible time and flexible partnerships we're and talking flexible about student groupings. F- four yeah.
0: walls and hopefully a ceiling and a floor. Yeah,
1: the stuff that you can buy and create and make. Um, and what we're going to talk about here is that movement towards physical spaces that challenge students and cause students to rethink their worlds.
0: Yes. Um, so I guess the first thing realistically is you're going to be doing some research and there are a lot of places that you can be going in order to get that research done. You can be, um, on Instagram. Yep. You've got a couple that you follow on Instagram. Yeah. The
1: biggest, the biggest one is, uh, hashtag flexible, flexible learning. And there's also flexible seating. Um, those two in particular, uh, the flexible seating one is the one that posts a fair bit. On Instagram, and then there's flexible seating options, and then there's flexible seating classroom, and don't go for flexible seat, flexible because that's more about gymnasts. Just as a heads up, um, yeah. So there's so there's a couple ones you can follow, and there's a couple teachers that kind of celebrate flexible flex, flexible learning environments. We will say flexible a lot during this as a heads up. Flexible, 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 flexible. Um, So So
0: with your learning spaces, there's also, you can be looking, Edutopia has several great articles um, and there's a book called The Space, A Guide for Educators, which is a really easy read. Um, You can do it over a cup of coffee one morning or a cup of tea or something a little stronger one evening. Uh, but it is by Dr. Robert Dillon and Rebecca Louise Hare, and i got to say there's some really great ideas in there, and they give you a place to start and some things to think about um, before you even delve into the whole, I'm going to rearrange everything in the classroom. I'm going to toss out all the furniture and rip down the walls and start fresh.
1: If you do that, it's a lot of money. Uh, The other thing to bear in mind is flexible learning does... You need to realize that not every student is good with a completely modified learning environment. Um, my classroom in particular is a flexible learning space. Um, I have five different types of seating in the class, not including on the floor or on cushions. So I've got wobble stools, I've got these soft cushion barrels, I've got your standard chairs, I've got tall stools, and I've got various sized desks. And I even have a astroturfed mound Um, and it creates a good environment, but it also involves a lot of training. So yes, students love it. And certain students will figure out which type of seating they prefer or which type of seatings, plural, they prefer. And certain students don't quite realize which ones of theirs are better for them. For example, I've had a couple of kids and have had a couple of kids in the past few years that are very high energy. Some of them did very, very well on something like a wobble stool, or a tall stool, but others did not. Others it became a distraction, and they'd actually learn worse. And this, and the standard chair was actually better for them. Standard chair with a bit of wobble and a bit of give to it, but a standard mm-hmm. chair nonetheless with a back. Um, a lot of my high-energy kids would tend to fall off, or wobble off, or just play, or intentionally try and fall off just to distract themselves from actually learning. Um, in which case they're needing a break, so there's better options than that.
0: So here's a couple questions that you need to consider before you delve into all of this. Yes. Fill in the blanks. This learning space supports student learning by blank because blank. So in other words, what is the purpose of your space?
1: Yeah. It's kind of the same analogy that we use to technology tools.
0: Yeah, absolutely. If you
1: want to introduce an app, what is the purpose of bringing that app in? Does it add to the environment, and if so, in what ways? Or is it simply another distraction? Or does it look mm-hmm. cool but actually doesn't do a lot? So that's a that's a really big deal when it comes to this sort of thing. Um, uh,
0: which traits do you want to support in your learning space?
1: Uh. I mean,
0: it's one of those things. If you're in, if if you are a teacher that does a lot of activities, then you might want to be supporting more engagement. You might want to be supporting more cooperative learning. But if you are a teacher that is preparing students for three hour handwritten exams, you might want to be promoting something a little bit different More than traditional. having a whole bunch of noise and running around and activity. So think about the traits of the learning space. Yep. Um, think about the behaviors you want to promote in your class as well. If you've got a super high energy class, then you might need to do something to help calm them down a little bit.
1: But at the same time, it can't all be about calm because they, no. won't, they won't listen to that or even focus on that. You need to find those things that will both allow them to explore and use the energy while allowing them to focus. Yeah. And the learning space can involve those, those things. And I know it sounds like we're talking a lot about seating, but we're not really. We're talking about using the environment in a flexible way. Absolutely. So that could include the sizes of the desks. Whether it's a tall standing desk, a rounded desk for group collaboration, to you anything
0: know. you put on the walls,
1: yeah, which is a whole different thing, by the way. We can talk about that in a moment. Um, but the things to bear in mind is: Does it enhance your learning? If so, how? And or does it? If it doesn't initially, how can you train your class so that it does? When we first brought flexible learning into the classroom a couple of years back, um, it did involve training third graders to be able to use that equipment and to use that seating and the desks and the chairs and the, and the whole environment in a way that was adaptable for them and that it wouldn't become a distraction because when they first come in at the beginning of the year, it's like, woo, all the fun things. But the reality is you've got to realize certain kids. Yeah, totally. Yeah.
0: And it always has to come back to, does it support learning?
1: Yeah. It could
0: be that your great idea doesn't end up supporting learning for those kids. And so you need to shelve that for another year.
1: Yeah, not only does it support it, does it enhance? Does it create, does it help support your classroom rules? Um, which we talked about in the responsive classroom uh, episode a few a uh, few weeks back. Um, so when you're creating your environment, just Be aware of those things and also be aware that a flexible learning environment doesn't have to be contained in just your room. A flexible learning environment can involve the use of outdoor spaces, garden areas, um, multipurpose rooms that are outside your classroom, hallway use. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very normal for a lot of our students here to do a lot of their learning, video recording, testing if need be. Out in the hallway when it's quiet and when it's an appropriate time. Um, that gives them a chance to explore. It gives them a chance to, to be in a new environment, which may help them focus. But it also gives them a bit of a quasi brain break while they're working. Yeah. Um, because it's fresh and it's new.
0: It could also, though, end up causing distractions. Right. If they're in I, a- I do use the hallway quite a bit for recording, and they started construction next door. Now we've got open air hallways. They started construction next door on a building, so I went out one day because these kids who should be doing a 30-second recording had been gone for five whole minutes, and teacher was going like, uh-oh, what's going on? Well, they were standing at the railing, completely glued to what was happening in the construction site next door.
1: Right, and so you've got to realize that like, if you send kids to a different space, recognize how busy the space is. The other thing to recognize about using the halls is that a lot of teachers will want to uh, have conversations in private with their students in the hall. And it's not so private if you've got a group out there.
0: Especially if they're recording. Yeah,
1: So um, just be aware of that and be aware of your colleagues and their needs as well. I know that typically when I have conversations with my students, it's typically done outside in the hall because I like to have private conversations. And that's not just about consequences. That's about everything from praising too, if they want a quiet praise, something like that. So bear your and understand your environment and be aware of your colleagues and everything around you in order to take advantage of those flexible learning environments. Uh, there's a lot of support these days to say that the garden areas are really valuable and helpful for helping kids learn, not just by training to use the garden, which, by the way, is a whole different thing, learning about life cycles, plants, etc, which is part of the NGSS standards um, and in grade three in particular life cycles. However, it's also just a peaceful environment if it's mm-hmm. kept peaceful, if it's trained to be used oh, yes. as a peaceful way and not trained as the destructive or distractionary way, or destructive yep. way. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so if you have green outdoor spaces or even greenhouse spaces to use, those can be fantastic environments for kids to learn in. Plus the increased oxygen in the air come from the plants can also help kids' brains.
0: So let's go back to the physical classroom for a minute. Yep. And if... A person is wanting to go through and redo this Um, there's a process there's most definitely a process and of course a budget Um, and normally if there was a project if you were project manager working on a building kind of thing normally you'd only have two phases you'd have the design phase and the building phase yeah but um, one of the things that the book recommended is that you actually do Three phases. Okay. And you reserve some of your money for phase three. Tell so, us more. Tell us more. Budgeting your initial project prototyping 30%. So this is use the phase as time to make student and voice, uh, teacher, student and teacher voices central by initial items that could be central to the philosophy of the learning space. Observe how they feel in the space, collect the feedback, and revise your plan. So you want to go through. I mean, before you actually spend money, you're going to want to go through that whole ideation phase. Talk to your students about the kinds of things that may benefit them. Ask other teachers. Do your research. That sort of thing. So that's before you even spend a cent, um, or a peso, or any other form of currency that you might have. Um,
1: gotta then, be, gotta be flexible with that.
0: Phase two, your launch. That's going to be about forty percent of your budget. Use the observations and feedback from your initial to make the majority of the remaining purchases. Um, Find an initial placement, like a solid home for the items that have already been purchased. Continue learning in this space, but kind of deepen that learning. Uh, Expand the feedback loops to a larger community. So you might want to be inviting other teachers into um, from your building in to give their feedback on it. and again you want to make sure that you are taking in that feedback and you might even be making some changes based on that feedback so it might be one of those things where you've got another teacher coming in to observe one of your lessons and say you know what I really like those wobbly chairs you've got but I noticed that they're all in the front row and all the kids are wobbling in the front row and the kids that are in the third row are staring at the kids in the front row wobbling yeah. And so you're like, oh, okay, so let's shift those to a slightly different location along the side or something like that.
1: Now, this is sounding very much like it's one teacher doing it on their own. The reality is if you aren't implementing flexible seating, a lot of times that's being done at an administrative level as opposed to a individual classroom level. So be aware of that, that you might not even be doing hmm. the first two phases. You might only you might be just be getting a whole bunch of equipment and saying, Have fun and that's actually the ideal because then you don't even need to worry about the money part you just go what are my fun toys I can do yes do and play with uh, that would be,
0: well that would be yes for a lot of private schools that is definitely the way they go
1: yes and and, and uh, if you've got if you're in the right district in public in certain public schools and they're making a move for that which a lot of them are then yeah yeah that's true. as they
0: as they're refreshing the furniture gosh I'm gonna miss those desks from the 70s yeah yeah um, Anyways, and then your final phase is the concept reinforcement phase. And they're saying save some of your budget, about 30% of your budget, for redesign or extension. Mm. Because maybe something that you've got worked out better than you thought. And you're like, oh, I wish I could get more of that. Or maybe something that you got, it was like, didn't quite work out the way I wanted. Good thing I didn't get the extra.
1: Yeah, you don't need um, to put all your money into it right away.
0: You know, add items based on effectiveness and add items based on the passions of the students and the teacher.
1: Yeah, and I would say get your student input in after a year as well. I do plan on, I get my student input every year, but this year I'll be getting more input from my students about the environment and mm-hmm. to see uh, what they think of it. And that could be done through just a big class forum uh, in front of the class asking them, or it could just be a Google form where yeah. you email them, that way it could be more independent and for the quiet kids who don't like to speak up, they get a chance. <laughs> so that's so a really... if Sorry, yeah.
0: if you are a teacher that does have to do it on their own, this is something where you can really crowdsource things, uh, tap into your parent community, and make a project out of it Mm -hmm. where the actual um, redoing of it happens over a holiday or a long weekend or something like that with your parent input um, parent helping you paint or um, installing things but if you are doing it on your own and you do have a budget some of the things that you might want to consider is your walls and there are different things that you can do to take your walls from being uh, that traditional cinder block Yep. and covering them over with something to make your learning a little bit more um, accessible or visible. Let's yes. Use visible.
1: But don't overdo it. Too much color is overstimulation. That's one of the problems we get with our modern big city world. Yes, um, if absolutely. You're wondering, now, if you're wondering how you're supposed to get the money for this, if you're in a private school, don't worry about it. Chances are if you ask for it or put in a budget proposal and present it, there's a better chance of you getting it. If you're in a public school, how are you going to do it? There's a lot – like. Honestly, go to one of the crowdfunding platforms mm-hmm. and say it's for your classroom and, see, and number one, get understand your government's regulations behind it. Remember, it is not your classroom. It is owned by the government. Yep. But, crowdfund it. See and see if the government will allow you to crowdfund it. Kickstarter, Indiegogo, Patreon, CrowdR- CrowdRise, um, Rocket Hub, CrowdFunder. They're all great crowdfunding sites. That if you put a proposal together, especially Kickstarter, I think is the most popular one these days, uh, even chuffed.org is apparently coming around now, um, that allows you to raise money so you can do certain things. Mm -hmm. And if you can get permission from your school to do it, then you might want to give that a shot, and that way you can get some extra money towards your project. Now, I think I want to emphasize that when you're starting to create this environment, have a very open mind.
0: Absolutely.
1: For example, I have seen classrooms... Where Bosu balls from the gyms. We're talking, not talking like the gym balls, the big round ones used for exercises. We're talking the ones that are shorter and they're flat on top and they've got a ball and structure built into the bottom of them as kind of wobble stools. Wobble boards.
0: So they're sitting on them?
1: Or standing on them. Or standing on them. Yeah. Uh, they're typically flat, large, I'd say probably about three or four feet across, mm-hmm. uh, in uh, you know, diameter. And... Um, they're bouncy, and we've seen people use those. I've seen people use stools of any number of different shapes, tables of any number of different shapes. Walk into an IKEA and have an open mind, and I'll bet you you will find a thousand different ways and things in there. And you could actually probably get a reasonable budget just by walking into an IKEA and figuring stuff out.
0: Even Not even an IKEA, but your home building centers as well. Yeah. So, one of the things to create, um, shareable surfaces when you're if you're wanting to have more collaboration uh, group work Uh, So the cheapest is laminated drawing paper. Yeah sticky tack laminate large format drawing paper sticky tack it up onto the walls Uh, sticky tack it to flat surfaces like tables sticky tack them to doors You know, you've got that and you've got dry erase markers and any sort of microfiber cloth will help wipe that off Yeah taking it up one notch Something called a shower board panel. I'm not quite sure what those are, but it says they're usually four by eight feet. I'm not sure what that is in metric, but probably about the size of a person. Four by eight, so we're talking
1: about 32 feet squared, which is, uh, anyways. Yes. yes, a decent size.
0: A decent size, and you can turn that, um, you can basically put mount those on the wall, and it becomes a writable surface. They're easily attached to a wall and they're replaced when needed with adhesive outdoor Velcro strips. So you're not even needing to drill into anything, which is awesome.
1: No, buy a whole ton of bulletin boards, giant ones and tack them to your wall. It's another good option.
0: Um, Inexpensive high gloss tabletops from Ikea. Yep. Make great writable surfaces. We have
1: those in our classroom.
0: Um, And you can move them around the room. Uh, you can make them a work surface, you could put it sideways, lean it up against a wall to so make it more of a display board. So there's different things that can happen there. Um, but yeah, it's think about what you're wanting more in your room. And it does not need to be the be all end all perfect space for everything.
1: Yeah. And give it a try. I mean, the main thing about all this is to give it a try. Yeah. To start anything, even if you do start small. Bring in a couple of stools. Bring in in one table that's lower than the others. And if it really starts to work, then phase your classroom in.
0: And it could be that you've got one table that's lower than the others, and one table that's higher than the others. For standing or high bar stool style table. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't all, again, you're not necessarily needing to go for uniformity. If you go onto Jennifer Gonzalez's website Uh, She's got um, a blog series called Classroom Eye Candy. Mm. And there are a whole bunch of different teachers that have submitted photos of their classrooms. And a lot of those teachers are furnishing their classrooms from garage sales. Yeah. Hint, vinyl cleans easier than fabric.
1: Yes. Fabric has to be replaced often.
0: Yes. Um, And, you know, before you even go to your garage sale or to your ikea or anything like that something you might want to start with clear out your clutter yeah anything any surface that has stuff on it go through it do you really need it
1: marie Kondo, your classroom
0: oh yeah. there's yes. actually a
1: couple of websites and that actually address that very issue um and they talk about getting rid of the things that aren't of value that you're just holding on to. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are teachers.com slash Marie condo classroom is one one. Uh, blogs.edweek.org does an article on it. Teachervision.com has another one. Um, Neat, uh, Neat Today has another one. There's a lot of websites. If you literally type in Marie, M A R I E, condo, K O N D O, your classroom, you will get tons of results about the ways people are suggesting. That you clean out the clutter in your classroom, and a lot of times, cleaning out that clutter is even the most preemptive step to creating a flexible classroom.
0: Yeah, it's it's huge. There was a uh, one of the teachers said in an interview um, when she was going to go and redo her space was that one day the whole impetus for this is the fact that she walked into her classroom one day and realized that she had a great teacher storage, but she didn't really have a classroom. Because she had so much stuff in there yeah every surface had stuff on it every cupboard was crammed and jammed full all of the wall space had things on it and her kids weren't looking at any of it
1: and the thing is if you if you're when you're cleaning out if you go oh but i might use that later Mm -hmm. ask yourself have you used it in the past two years if the answer is no throw it out Anyways, that's a whole topic for a different day. So, flexible classrooms, flexible seating. Try it out. Try it in little steps. Try it in big steps. Convince your ad man to give you a big budget and do it on your own or crowdsource it yourself.
0: That's right. You know, parents are awesome for this stuff.
1: Yep, especially the ones who have money. I'm kidding. Uh, Or time. Or time. Time and money. All right. Have a great day, folks. This is all we got today. We will see you in September, August, whatever. In a couple months. Yeah, when we're all done break. Bye. Bye.